0: turn that on okay we're good okay. welcome to the joe beaver show yeah. Perfect hi everybody tiny. hey yeah. everybody so so we're we're just kind of catching up and he's on the couch and i've got the game on in the background and and we're talking and and stuff throughout the whole game which is more than i ever watch not a big nba guy and then i'll get oh so you're uh, talking about
1: the nba game not yeah jordan poyer
0: yeah no did, well that too i watched uh, a lot of okay. that too
1: okay when you said did no, you watch I'm, any of the game you're referring to the blazers the Blazer taking game, on right. the champs yeah but i okay. did
0: watch a lot most of that monday night football okay. game too okay good lawyer was great but um there was a a, a Derek jones block on lebron that was just incredible so now, you're
1: in now you're was, all
0: in but it was like corner of my eye kind of thing like oh man i didn't really want to say Mm. oh did you see that because i I, if i'm engaged with someone Mm. i'm engaged with them yeah yeah you know what i mean and And you can't i
1: know but you could because he was talking yeah i didn't want to do that oh did you see that well dad i I was just telling you about my change of career i will never do
0: that to anyone i got you i just (laughs) won't i I will never do that even if i will will be in trouble or fall or or miss something, right. I won't, I won't do it. You're a good I can't man. do it. Okay. So so I looked, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Okay. And nowadays <laughs> you know you can go back and look at any highlights. That's true. Or
1: even, you know, a few minutes later just scroll back and you'll <laughs> right. it'll be there for right. you. At least thirty right. minutes worth.
0: So the good thing was is that when you're catching up with someone or you're doing mm-hmm. a chore, time goes by. That's why baseball on the radio is the best. You can get through nine innings and by the time the ninth inning, the twenty seventh out Your garage is completely clean. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, it was a great game. The Blazers uh, kept coming back in the, was it the third or the fourth? The Lakers did take the lead, and I thought, well, that lead will grow, and this will be over. Mm -hmm. But a couple of minutes later, you know, I look up and go, oh, look at that. The Blazers came back a couple of threes, but it was all about defense. Now, did you hear my exchange that I had with Terry Stotts and Jason Quick this morning?
1: Well, you, you yourself that I played. Yeah, that you play. played. I heard the. I thought maybe you'd gotten Terry <laughs> no. trying to broker a peace deal. Look, I, we can't come to peace. We need somebody else. And you were going to broker I'll, a peace. Yeah, I'll I'll <laughs> have an exchange. We'll get the two of you together and I'll arbitrate and we'll listen to both sides. That's what I thought when you said, Did you hear my exchange <laughs> with Stotts and Quick? No. But I did hear. You know, it's interesting, John. I'd like to hear all of it if you have it at the ready. In I don't, here, but I will after the first break. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to hear the start to the finish because I've heard bits and pieces of, of it twice, but I never heard okay. the beginning point and the end point. But for those who didn't hear your morning show on News Radio 1340 Clue AM and who may not have yet heard the exchange, I'd, at some point, I'd like to hear it from the beginning and end, at least what you played and what was made available, because it did sound spirited. We love Jason mm-hmm. Quick.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't. Everything I've heard about Terry Stotts is that he's a great guy, that he's a, a a really good person. He's a very successful coach and offensive-minded coach,
3: and has put together great offensive schemes. Doesn't put his players in position to rely on schematic crutches. Uh, it does great. <laughs> By the way, I've spoken to Nigel Burton about it. And he, he says the writer's on to something. There is something there that is defensive coaches. The play-action thing has a it, it, it has a limit to its effectiveness, and teams do eventually figure out. Oh, it, it, it's primarily based on the run game. Yeah, if the run game isn't good enough, you don't need to worry about no. it. the play action's meaningless. Right, and you and you know what what they're up to, and that has happened to quarterbacks who were successful, kind of masking some perhaps deficiencies in their overall game. So he said, no, there's something in what the guy said. He didn't read the whole article, and I was trying to share it with him in a very quick piecemeal fashion yeah. on Rip City Radio this morning. Nigel and I had a a conversation. It was kind enough to ask me to come on. He's filling in, or not filling in, but going solo right. with Dan Sheldon taking a little time off. So that did come up. But also, what came up on uh, Nigel began the segment. He said, We're going to welcome in Mike Parker in a second, but we'll get back to the Blazer talk and the questions about Gary Trent Jr.'s playing time. <laughs> yeah. So I knew that that was one of those themes, having heard you having heard Nigel up north in the big city, it was something that kind of captivated all who care about the Blazers, that that was a talking point after the game, even after the great win over the champs in Staples Center, two straight wins for the Blazers in that building over the Lakers. Now that's a cool thing in its own right early in the season. That seemed to be Stotts's point. Look, we played three games, and (laughs) and I get that on a certain level, but I also admired our own. Oregon State's yeah. own, CHS's own, <laughs> the Joe Beaver Show's own. <laughs> That's right. Jason Quick, I admired uh, the the spirited nature of the exchange. So bring us up to date. We'll hear the whole thing maybe a little bit later. But it seemed to be predicated on Gary Trent Jr.'s minutes and the inconsistency of minutes early in the year. So what, what can you tell us oh. that so amused you about the exchange?
4: <laughs> because you just don't... <laughs> Uh, you don't get that kind of thing very often, um, n- not necessarily on this. By the way, just uh, mm-hmm. checking in, you just don't get that very often. And it wasn't that contentious because Terry thoughts is t- too nice. Yeah, I mean, and so he's is quick. Yeah, yeah, and so is Jason, yeah. and Jason wasn't belligerent at all. It was, but he was challenging. He said, "Well, well, yeah, Terry, but." You said. But you're right, you said, exactly. But Stotts, on the other hand, was a little irritated. Now, while I say Terry Stotts is nice, I don't know him personally. Nor I. He's, he's not a jerk in sounding. But I will say this. He always seems irritated, and he seems like he's never happy.
3: Even with his own uh, yes. Ryan Wheeler, when yes. Wheels was doing it, Travis Demers now, Every even in those single exchanges interview. where it's Usually a fairly cordial atmosphere. It
4: is. And he's never mean and he's never rude, but he's never overly, f- he's not even warm, friendly. Warm, he's not yeah. warm. He's mm-hmm. just straight line. Right. Even when everyone is celebrating some type of victory, Damon just went off for 150 points <laughs> and he's yeah. just a flat line. So you get the feeling he doesn't like his interlocutor. He, mm-hmm. he, he It's just weird. But even though these two went at it, and again, we'll hear it here, even though they went at it, it wasn't like a ooh, awkward moment. It was like, ooh, that was fun. I yeah. want to hear more. Because he was like, come on, Jason. It's mm-hmm. only been two games. We're only two games Did he in. call him by name? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, he did. That's nice. He did. And and Jason said, well, yeah, but you said. And yeah. <laughs> now, what was interesting to me, and it's very interesting that you add Nigel onto this, because... The first questioner was a gal from, a, I think, an outside publication, not anything around here, because everybody was in on it. It was a Zoom call. And by the way, they figured it out. Terry Stotts was on a microphone. Oh, so it's better. So it's better. It sounded just like a normal thing. But you know it, it. It was a Zoom deal, right? So the audio is really good. And she asked something to the effect of in the question right before Jason came on about playing time with Gary Trent. She said she said uh was do, do, do you think Gary was a, was well, playing hard tonight like uh to responding to, responding his, lack to of his lack of minutes against minutes Houston. against Houston. And then he says, "Well, I don't know about that." And then he answered the question. Okay. And then Jason asks him the question, and then Jason has to ask him t- two more times. Mm. "Well, yeah, but why is it difficult to give him the minutes?" <laughs> And then that's when Terry says, Jason, come on. And then it began. And it was good. It was a good back and forth um, because you just don't hear it very often.
3: We'll hear it in its entirety later. It's short, but it's entirety, the exchange. And I like the sound of it. Mike in Seattle is on the downward dog on Monroe Sports Line, and we'll get to Mike in just a second. I, I will share something with you, Mike, and maybe you know this exists. But in my newfound discovery of this thing called YouTube and old
0: games,
3: <laughs> I mean, I know yesterday it sounded like I just discovered that certain things are available. Yeah. I will tell you that I discovered something, I'll tell Mike right now, that adds further to my love of this whole, the whole world. So, Uh you know, I may never read a book again. I'm just going to be, you know, watching my, my screen and my YouTube the rest of my My life, like everybody else. What my
4: son and I were talking about most of the evening was YouTube. And he was telling me a lot of how it works and a lot of what, how it's monetized and teaching me everything. I was like, Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, let's
3: bring Mike in Seattle in on the Downward Dog Sports Line. Mike, I will tell you, and I don't know if you've seen this. Maybe you own the film and it's old hat. But last night, one bouncing around looking for some. Or I just put in Oregon State audio of complete games. That's all I put in as a search engine. Uh, scrolling through, you know, more results. Page two, page three. There it is. A silent film version, March 12, 1955, the entire game, USF against Oregon State College at Gill Coliseum in the West Regional Finals, final score, Bill Russell and USF 57, the Beavers 56. It's all there, and I watch most of it from start to finish, fascinated by it. Have you seen it? Do you know that film and that game well?
5: Well, good morning, you guys. Good morning. And, um, yes. Um, I did YouTube that or Googled it, and it came up. And, yes, I saw the black-and-white version, and it was very interesting because the little scoreboard, I think, was on the court on the far side. Yes. And it had a person there that would flip the yes. flip the scores By the hand. this went in, and so it brought yeah. me back to, to a long time ago. But the thing I missed was I and and I say this a lot when I'm watching games, and Oregon State basketball games is they had the benches on the wrong side in comparison to the camera. Yes, and so all we saw was spectators on the far side, all dressed in coats and suits and right. hats. Right. Right and ladies in dresses, but I did not get a chance to see our Oregon State bench and my grandfather there coaching and a chance to see him in action with Paul and and probably Jimmy at that time. I don't know if he was playing or not, but and actually see him in action uh, as he's coaching from the sidelines. But uh, yeah, those are great and and I'm glad the people that have that have found a way to upload them so we can all see
3: them. You know, Mike, the thing that interested me, too, many things. Watching a lithe young Bill Russell roaming around was fun. He didn't dominate the game like he ended up dominating on the boards and defensively at the NBA level, at least not in that game. But he shot his free throws underhanded, too. Bill Russell yeah. from the free throw line flinging up in several players in the game, going to the line, underhand, like it was underhand, common. underhand. And Bill Russell yeah. made two free throws in an underhanded, left-handed manner. It was fun to watch wow. that. But I, I've heard all my life about Ron Robbins had a shot to beat USF and just it trickled off and he just missed it. The thing that the film doesn't tell me, because there's no running clock, if you've watched it to the end, Mike, there's a long, what would be in our in our age, a three-point attempt from the right corner that was a pretty good look and went off the, the right rim a little bit short. There was a scramble for the rebound. And in the end, a Beaver player stole the ball away from a Dons player and went in with kind of a runner flipping it up in the lane, and it trickled off. I don't know if that was the shot or the shot that Robbins took from the right corner or that little runner trickle that everybody talks about that was this close to going in that would have beaten Russell and the Dons and snapped their winning streak and their consecutive national championship run.
5: Yeah, well as you're talking about that it's it's taken me back um, back to my father who was the basketball manager for Coach Gill, ended up marrying his daughter, which is interesting. Um is a manager and is down in the bowels of Gill Coliseum back when it was almost brand new, I right. do believe. And as the I think both teams were up upstairs warming up, I think my dad went by a by a bathroom stall and there's somebody throwing up in the bathroom stall and he I don't think he looked under the door or anything, <laughs> but but he thought it was Bill Russell mm-hmm. and he said to himself, Oh my gosh, you know, we've got this because he is sick as a dog right now. Uh-huh. And I think he went upstairs and told some I don't know, player or two or somebody and goes, Oh my gosh, you know. Mm-hmm. You know the big guy is really sick downstairs, and I think we've got this game. Wow! Uh, well, it turns out that I think Bill Russell threw up kind of before every game. Right. <laughs> I think that was his—that was his thing. He yeah. was either so nervous or so—I uh, don't know—something. But he would throw up every game uh, in the in the uh, in the minutes leading up to it. And so, although my dad thought. It was an omen. Uh, it was an omen of a different, uh, different brand, and we didn't get a chance to see it. And that, and that kind of takes me, kind of to the purpose of my call, because uh, it's great when people lay down tape or get videos, you know, on eight millimeter film, and then find a way to get them captured into digital form and then share them either with their family, or the world. And I listened to Alex Crawford's podcast the other. Day, Mike, mm-hmm. and I am so impressed, you know, with people like Alice, or like Alex, and that Allison, and the football player. I forgot his name. Howard, John
3: Howard Croom. Yeah, yeah,
5: these, yeah, these young guys and gals who are enthralled, you know, with sports announcing. You know, and sports commentating and sports podcasts are doing great work, and I want to thank you because you spent about 45 minutes with them the other day, and uh, as a mentor that you are now to these younger announcers and and people, I think it's really helping them kind of uh, kind of get their craft going, and it's allowing us to hear. To guys like you and others, as they lay down the tape, you know, for all of us to hear in the future. And, uh, uh, I told, I told Josh Grossman that, um, that the work he's been doing on the Beaver Baseball podcast, yeah. and getting all, all those stories. And Pat Casey was on the other day and really went into, into great lengths about his history. That is now there for his children and grandchildren. So, right, you know, the guys like you and John who are helping those guys, uh, you know, kind of get through, you know, the waning or get through the icebreaker part of it and getting comfortable. And technology now, anybody can have a have a story to tell, and it gets uh, it gets safe for everybody to hear. So, thanks for the YouTube story about the basketball game. Thanks for people who. Call in, call in uh, or agree to do podcast, you know because that's mm-hmm. how we get the uh, that's how we get the stories. I thank Dominic for helping Paul get his laid down yeah. in the live version uh, you know that OSU has done with a lot of great beavers both in school and athletics, and so now we have that and anybody can see it so thanks for that.
3: Thank you, Mike, and thanks for sharing that. And it was a pleasure to spend time with uh, Alex, you young Alex and Ashton Butuso, Blazer legend Ashton Butuso, and former Beaver tight end Howard Croom. All three have been guests on this show. They had me on as a podcast guest oh, recently, okay. a podcast they're <sighs> doing about damn time, I think they call it, about it's all Oregon State yeah. stuff.
4: You know, it's funny because as we were talking earlier before, Mike called about YouTube and what it can do. Um, it all ties together because Mike's message is getting it all on tape for all of us to see. And that's true, but, but he's speaking on a, on a beaver level and, you know, we don't have documentation anymore we can go back and read letters from thomas jefferson we can go even further back and read Mm -hmm. letters people Mm -hmm. wrote diaries and talked about life life on the oregon trail all these things well we don't have that anymore because we have electronics which isn't new to the digital era. we stopped when the radio was invented essentially right so fewer and fewer people documented their lives well I even thought about, you know, writing stuff down for my great, great grandkids someday Mm -hmm. so they can read it. So as you're talking about YouTube and going back and seeing these, these sporting events and shows, yes, that's all great. But I think the true, it's, it's true too for, for people, families. Right. So get the camera and the microphone on grandma Mm -hmm. and say, tell me where you came from. Tell me about your grandparents. Um, yeah. And then, because since no one's writing anything down anymore, and if everything is digital, mm-hmm. then it'd be an extra special thing to have that 100 years from now, or even 25 years from now, trust me. Um, and yeah. people just need to be reminded to do that. Especially, have you ever gone through pictures? You know, you get pictures from a from a... a, a Someone passes away, you go, okay, here's a box of pictures. Well, I don't know who this is. Right. Well, your Aunt Martha sure. does somewhere. Well, sure. Aunt Martha's two hours away and she's 90 years old. Mm-hmm. So, so, and because there's no, they didn't write the names on the That's back. That's right. Rarely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wish I knew who that was. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so this whole digital world and, and then especially the use for sports, I mean, it's great for sports. It is. I am so glad that somebody, Took the time to take some of those old 1930s and 1940s mm-hmm. all the way up until now. I can hear any of the old Vin Scully stuff. Yeah. Yeah. and listen to him and then bother you with texts and say you know so and so should have should have gotten that ground ball <laughs> in in 67 right now my, when i do that i'm testing to see your memory yeah. on a little bit of information that i give
3: you well kessinger should have shaded willie davis
4: a little bit more <laughs> up the middle because these guys will talk about it on the on yeah. the play by play and i know you've referenced it before yeah
3: the last thing before we break, and we have open phones, if there's anything you'd like to contribute about a joy, a discovery in this world, I still, you know, believe me, I, I love books and I love the literary histories you're talking about in the journals and the diaries, and I still think it's important, I hope that we don't, uh, when I think about the literary craft, you know, we have the collected letters of Thomas Jefferson and the uh-huh. collected letters and the correspondence of our statesmen through the ages. That doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. And I mean, you you could collect social media posts and tweets, but they may not <laughs> they may lack a little of the literary quality that Jefferson provided. Perhaps <laughs> that's just a suggestion. Or Alexander <laughs> Hamilton, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, that being said. Preserving digital recordings and, and getting things down, it's its similar in nature in terms of preserving the history. So being able to watch March twelfth, 1955, Gill Coliseum. Yeah. And watch it in black and white and in silence. There's no announcers. You see the the flip, the manual scoreboard. That's amazing. As points are scored, you could see the hand flipping the numbers over.
4: They didn't have a scoreboard.
3: Well, they may have had a scoreboard, but that might have been for the purpose of the camera. I mean, I, I don't know. It's yeah. placed so, so that a camera can okay. see that. Yeah, but, they probably had. But a camera. there may it not have been camera. a digital scoreboard. I mean, that's there,
4: like going to the you know the the grade school gym on Saturday morning. Yeah, for there probably
3: basketball. was not a digital scoreboard. Now that I think about. It from 1955, and so on both sides of the court, you would have people flipping the numbers over as baskets and free throws were made. Bill Russell shooting underhanded free throws. It was fascinating to watch this happen in our building, Grand Old Gill, where it'll all be for the Beaver-Stanford wow. game to call that on New Year's Eve afternoon. John Platts, by the way, the voice of Stanford hoops, and he was a great guest for us during Stanford's football nomadic era ending this 2020 season John will join us at 1225 I love his historical perspective but in searching out just finding things Oregon State the powers that be within the media audio world in the in the archival department have done a great job and Uh they've uploaded I couldn't believe how many things were there that I never knew were there. I watched Pat Lafferty and Ralph Miller together on the Ralph Miller Show. 1981, Lafferty querying Miller, two great minds at work there. Pat talking to Ralph, Ralph answering Pat's questions after the Beavers' victory over St. John's in the unbeaten 80-81 year up. And Ralph's funny, he and Pat are relaxed. They're talking, and they they're part of the show... Shows drills that the Beavers did to emphasize passing and cutting and spacing. It's all on the Ralph Miller Show with Lafferty, and it's you can find it in the Oregon State video archives. And almost, every, I mean, like 30 or 40 Ralph Miller shows are on there.
4: Really? Yes. And do you remember the address, or did you just YouTube? Yeah,
3: you know, I just, I uh, the, the way one, I got into it was just audio... Uh, you know, audio recordings of Oregon State games through... And then one thing And then that showed another, thing leads another. to another, yeah. and that leads to the just website. an incredible yeah. number. I mean, yeah. there, there's a, a videotape, and it's the only place I show up in it, but it was fun to go back and listen to a little bit. Yeah. Shot from afar. It might have been the late Jeff Taylor that shot it, but it says Fiesta Bowl activities, pre-Fiesta Bowl, the pep rally in Wells Fargo Arena. And so... Here are ten thousand Beaver fans. I'm out there introducing Dennis Erickson, Mitch Barnhart, Dr. Risser, getting the fans going, yelling, go beaves. And it brought back great memories just to see that crowd and hear them again and Dennis addressing Beaver Nation and Wells Fargo Arena as part of the pep rally all. I've on never video. seen
4: that because I didn't go to yeah. the festival. It's there. Anybody who never went never saw right. it.
3: Wow. So I'm discovering things that I had no idea existed. I'm just wondering, as we go to break, if you, if just in your own world, you've stumbled across some things that have brought you joy, that have brought you a sense of, oh, my gosh, this is so cool to have anything that you'd care to share with us. And on a far more personal level, as John suggests, all of us perhaps should it would behoove us i think to take time whether with a, a phone camera or whatever else to record our loved ones occasionally just talk, you know I, one of my cherished possessions is just a cassette tape that i turned a hit play record on a cassette tape circa 1980 at my aunt's house in Cottage Grove, and I have about an hour of dinner table conversation, <laughs> and to be able to hear my uncles, my Uncle Bobby used to torture me about yeah. Namath and Gabriel.
4: You can hear him?
3: Uh, yeah, not in that, not talking about that. We'd move beyond, we'd matured <laughs> beyond that level of conversation. But to hear him, to hear my dad, to hear my uncle, my aunt, they're all gone, but I, I just one day said, I think I'm going to record a dinner table conversation, and I still have it, and it's precious. I'm I've always
4: you. I've always been an archivist, a family mm-hmm. archivist. I've always been into movie cameras. So just before I got married, uh, nineteen eighty eight, went out and bought one of those big shoulder mm-hmm. VHS cameras, and just just would get everything. Right. Then as time went on, the machines get smaller, and now you're on your phone doing four K stuff, right? And I did that one time, because I've done that before. I my, We have a cabin that my dad started building when he was 19. I said, Dad, tell me the story. Where, why, how, right. how did you do it? Because it's, it's an amazing story. But I've always done this. So we went to one one of my ex's family reunions. And I thought, well, they'll love this. And I put my phone down, and I just started recording the table conversation. Mm-hmm. And I still have it, but... They don't want me anymore, so I've got their family. <laughs> mm-hmm. There will come a
3: time you'll forward it to somebody it's who a, will be happy to have it. It's a bargaining chip. No, <laughs> no, I, they can
4: have it if they want it. Yeah, I, I'm just saying yeah. that it's like, oh yeah, I guess I don't really need this anymore. And then <laughs> I thought about it. No, oh, I didn't, yeah. because the the archivist in mm-hmm. me says, even though you know, yeah. just don't delete it. Right.
3: Yeah. Good choice. Let's break. Anybody want to share a story along similar lines of the discovery of an old game on tape? Oh my gosh. How precious it is. No question about it and to see Ron Robbins' shot. If that was the shot, the one there was no way to know whether the second shot well, kind who, of well, who was Ron Robin. Ron Robbins was a guy that almost beat the Dons in their first yeah, but which championship. one was he?
4: If you knew which one he was, you'd know if Well, that's true. Shot that's true.
3: That, that's a good point. But it was a long shot. And, I, again, I wonder, you know, I didn't want to say slats. You could have come up with a better play. No, that was. I, I, but the Beavers got the ball down one with 13 seconds to play. And they Did get, you have a, a clock that you could see? Well, they showed just after a timeout and all that. The camera just looked the, at the, the clock. The camera showed the clock, 13 seconds, and the Beavers are inbounding the ball at midcourt. And they won two, I think, two passes to Robbins in a right corner, what would now be in our <laughs> parlance a three attempt. Absolutely. That's the long shot, and it almost went in, and then the scramble, then another wild shot at the end that trickled off, and then San Francisco starts celebrating. So it could be the second runner shot. The time, I I didn't put a stopwatch to it. That might have been the second shot, and it may not have been Robin shooting the deep, what we would call now a three, but either way, the Dons were this close to having the first part of that back-to-back championship run ended right here at Gill, And that's what Dave from Tumwater should ask Bill Russell about when he sees him (laughs) at the Tumwater Starbucks. That game, that moment, I think... Would he even remember? You know, I I think USF got a technical late in the game that gave the Beavers a free throw and the ball because it was supposed to be USF. I don't know what happened. There's no announcers. There's no narrative to it. But suddenly it goes from USF ball to Beavers ball at midcourt. Down one with 13 seconds to play and a chance to beat him. Fascinating stuff in Oregon State's history. Fairly clear. I mean, clear, again, for 55 film standards, black and white, no sound. You can make out numbers occasionally, and Bill Russell was wearing six in college, too, at USF. Let's break. Casey Jones was part of that, and we lost him. Yeah, just recently. Recently as well. It's been a, a rough year for legends in terms of all of us who admired them and followed them through the years, I asked Bill Walton, Bill Walton said, I played for the two greatest coaches ever to play, ever to coach the game, oh, who John Wooden, of course, and, and Casey Ramsey. Jones. What? Yes. Not Jack Ramsey? He put Casey above Jack in the overall. I always thought that Casey Jones
4: just rolled the ball well, out there and said go. that, that
3: – <laughs> And when I ran that by Bill, because that was the, he said, yeah, essentially that's true. But all of the trust he had in us.
6: Oh come on.
4: Yes, yes. <laughs> but that's big. That's big at that level. Jack Ramsey was probably the greatest one. Of the Top three greatest. I would agree, of all time. and he loved
3: Jack too. But I'm just saying, when I asked him 30 years ago, Walton, he said <laughs> Wooden and Casey. Okay. Now 30 years later, would it be the same answer? I don't know about that. I don't know. Let's break, (laughs) 497-5356. Thanks for joining us on 1240 Joe Radio.
7: Unified Insurance Group is your local independent insurance agency in Corvallis. They represent numerous insurance companies and specialize in auto, home, and business insurance. See Mike Eaves, Taylor Starr, and Tom Worth. They'll help find an insurance plan that works best for you. So if you're looking for auto, home, or business insurance, See the Unified Insurance Group, 320 Southwest 3rd Street in downtown Corvallis. They're your hometown team, always putting you first.
3: This is Mike Parker for Even Flow Plumbing, your trusted award-winning plumber for the Mid Valley. Even Flow specializes in complete plumbing and drain cleaning solutions for residential and commercial jobs. They treat your home like it's their home, and their flat-rate pricing means no surprises at the end of the job. Even Flow takes pride in doing the job right the first time. Just call 541-738-8853 for all your plumbing needs. When you need a pro,
4: go with the flow. Even- and flow plumbing. Middleton Heating has been here helping you for over 71 years, 24 hours a day. Middleton can repair, replace, or maintain all types of heating and cooling equipment. Heating unit troubling you? Need repairs or replacement? Give Middleton Heating a call. For new equipment, Middleton offers several financing options and participates in state, federal, and manufacturer incentive programs. Don't forget, Middleton's custom sheet metal shop is still taking orders, large or small. You can count on Middleton for all your heating, cooling, and sheet metal needs online at MiddletonHeating.net.
8: So I'm in the living room watching the game, and I hear a horrible sound. You know, since it's raining, today'd be a good day to refinish that floor or get the tile up in the kitchen. I would, but I don't have all the equipment. That's no excuse. You can rent everything you need from Philomath Rental. And since they're open seven days a week, you can go out there today. Darn you, Philomath Rental.
9: Philomath Rental, next to Landmark Realty, one and a half miles west of the Sunset Shopping Center. For tools and equipment for home, farm, and business, stop by Philomath Rental. ¡Gracias! If you're a hobby enthusiast and you've been shopping online because you think you're going to get a better deal, visit Trump's Hobbies in Corvallis. You'll be surprised. In most cases, you don't get a better deal online. Plus, unlike a lot of the online sites, Trump's Hobbies carries only the top brand names. And when it comes to answering a question or fixing a problem, owner Jim Trump has been around for 50 years and can help because he knows what he's talking about. Call or stop by. They're in the Timber Hill Shopping Center in Corvallis. Trump's Hobbies, bringing enjoyment to life.
6: We set them up. You knock them down. Highland Bowl. Family entertainment for young and old. Clean and friendly. That's Highland Bowl. Bring your party, and let the good times roll. Great food. Good fun. That's Highland Bowl. We set them up. Corvallis, twelve forty, Joe Radio.
3: We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren. Ted Robinson has just uh, called back, texted back. It's been a long time, and I thought of Ted. He did recently the Stanford Arizona game, so that was sort of the, the the impetus for calling him was to get from him a thought on Stanford. Not hearing from him, I reached out to radio broadcaster John Platts with the Cardinal they both have suddenly, you know, John said yes, Ted just said yes, so we'll have Ted Robinson at 12.05, John Platt's at 12.30. The angles with both will be a little different with Ted. I want to talk to Ted more about the Pac-12 life in football, Mm -hmm. in hoops. He's done some games but also just about kind of the state of affairs in the in the conference that right. he's covered for so long, as has John. So in both football and hoops, but primarily football with Ted Robinson. In the meantime, it's a pleasure to welcome, and we invoked his name because of the Tumwater Starbucks and the possibility of Bill Russell showing up again to answer questions about Ron Robbins. Dave from Tumwater joins us on the Joe Beaver Show. Hey, Dave.
10: Good morning, guys. Say, Mike, that was a very helpful tutorial on what to ask uh, should uh, Bill Russell show up again. And as I reported, he's been there at least three times. Uh, I've only seen him the once. Right. My other buddy, Jerry, has seen him uh, two times before, which is how he recognized him. But I... I you know, I've done lots of public speaking, and I've been on, but I haven't been on in the media like you guys have. But I'm, but I'm accustomed to being in public. I can't imagine being more intimidated by an encounter than kind of meekly <laughs> <laughs> coming up, Coach Russell. Can yeah. Can you tell me what you remember about that game in South Allen in '55? But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw up some courage. And I hope I don't screw up the opportunity, but I hope I live long enough and Bill Russell lives long enough. And you're right, Mike. I mean, what a year. We're just losing great guys yeah. left and right. And um, uh, as for Casey Jones, now he, I always thought he was one of the more likable. So, I mean, as a rule, I really – you know, I, I disliked the Celtics because they were so damn good. I didn't mm-hmm. hate them like I – Hated the Yankees. I kind of admired their grittiness. Yeah. Um, and, and KC seemed to be one of the more likable uh, people. But I have to share this. So my wife, as I've often reported, is kind of listening in the background, and she's the E. F. Hutton of the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, and she, uh, she doesn't say very, doesn't talk very often. But when she does, you have to pay attention. So you're talking about what Bill Russell's take on uh, on Casey Jones and Chris Quits? Mike has to remember who it was. She was who he was talking to about that question of building somewhat having a <laughs> dis- <laughs> disputatious yes. reputation yeah. uh, and and maybe a foggy memory. But lastly, I wanted to chime in on the on the scoreboard question. Because I can, I'm old enough I can remember vividly and I wouldn't be surprised people like Dominic and uh, Bob deKella people who go back to the 50s I can remember distinctly my brother played college football in the 1950s and that was a running clock that is to say the stadium had it was a clock face and it was yes. the, they had two arms on it like any other clock except it didn't have 12 hours it had, 12 minutes, and it would reset. And, uh, and, and the Chicago Stadium, where the Bulls played up to the point where the United Arena was built, and where the Blackhawks played for so long, famously, they had clock faces that showed uh, the, the elapsed time, which is why, by the way, this is my concluding point, this was the origin of the two-minute warning in the NFL, because a running clock face <clears throat> Couldn't be, couldn't compute time as precisely as a referee on the field who was who had a stopwatch, which of course was was also a clock rather than a digital countdown. So I have no doubt, Mike, as to your running theory there, that uh, 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 that the score might have been kept manually mm-hmm. or on or, or several places around the arena, and there, there wasn't. The, the big digital countdown that was now so ubiquitous yeah. probably didn't come into uh, uh, a great currency until the early 1960s with diodes and all that other stuff. So anyway, let's keep our fingers crossed that Bill Russell will show up at Tumwater Starbucks and I can bravely crawl over and ask him what he remembers about that game.
4: Dave, I have a quick question. Since you're a historian and and you're here and you love old, old school basketball, have you ever played as a youth or have you ever seen a school that's old enough to have it's so small that the court is broken up into thirds and the over and back line, what we call the mid court line, the timeline, whatever you want to call it is the forward line of the two thirds. If you're moving towards your basket. And then once you, once you get over that second line, if you know what I mean, the two thirds of it, then you are afforded the back, the first line backwards as your working in your court it's just it's just shrinking the court down and they had to do that way back in the day because some schools and places were too small to have the two front courts if you know what I mean
10: well john that's I, you created a great picture i mean i could i could visualize it perfectly and what comes to mind of course is that you're describing a gym that is the classic definition of a bandbox? box, yeah. which is uh, with a, a term of art uh, from back in the day. I don't remember that, but um, since you talk about women's basketball frequently, I do remember my sister was on the equivalent of her high school basketball. I mean, they didn't play schools. I mean, this was pre-Title IX. Uh, thankfully, that injustice has been uh, mitigated. But I would— re- uh, in the game she would play only one player could could go into the four court uh in other words the teams did not run the whole court i mean ri- ridiculous as it sounds mm. they didn't there wasn't thought the girls had the stamina to play a full court game only one player were kind of what was like a midfielder in soccer who could transect the line, so uh, it, it was. A, wow. And I probably haven't perfectly captured it. Maybe someone uh, like Dominic's wife knows old school basketball better. But that's what I remember from the old old days. Of
4: basketball. Wow, great stuff.
3: Thank you, Dave. Nice Thanks, to Dave. hear from you, and Happy New Year. Uh, this will be the final show, of uh, Joe Beaver shows at least. Uh, are you going to do one New Year's Eve no, afternoon? No, no. Nope. we'll do got football, uh, bowl games football, the next
4: two days. Let's see, Tuesday and Wednesday. Or the, no, Okay. Well, thir- today is Tuesday, Wednesday Tuesday and Thursday. So
3: you have bowl, a bowl game tomorrow on this, during this right. show, Hell. and a bowl game Thursday prior to... The pregame show at 2 30 at Gill Coliseum. Exactly.
4: And then uh, Friday we'll just have Fox on. We're all taking every day off. We will take Friday a break
3: uh, and come back. We've got so, a busy second hour with Ted Robinson and John Platts, two longtime observers of Pac 8, 10, 12 football and basketball.
4: Have you ever seen the the third? To the three-part court.
3: I'm having a little more difficulty envisioning that even coming from a bandbox in Cottage well, Grove. Well,
4: just think of really old school, yeah. really small, High school. and they say, okay, if you have to get it past this far line to be in front court, mm-hmm. but once you do, you can go backwards to, to the, the mid, one behind it. To the mid court. Well, there isn't well, a mid court, well, oh, but okay. the one behind the far line so that you get Okay. Two th- two-thirds to bring the ball out of backcourt. Ah, and I then see. once you get over it, you go two-thirds the other direction for your... But you
3: can't go back over the first third. Exactly.
4: Line. Exactly. And I, I, remember, I playing remember playing it one actually. twice in my youth, which was this, like, let's say 1973. And the school itself, let's say it was built in 1900, and then it's never changed it. Yeah. And the adult said, "This is how that works." And I looked it up, and it it's, it's how it works. <laughs> By the way, Kip uh, writes in to say that it was um, it was Robbins who had the shot in the corner. He talked to Paul Valenia, Valenia about that game, and Paul remembered the Robin shot from the corner, but okay. not who. No. couldn't remember who shot the follow-up the shot. The little
3: trickle right. runner, and what I can't tell <clears throat> is whether that shot would have counted even had it gone in because it was a six or seven point pretty good look. Yeah. And then the ball trickles off and the USF rebounds and begins to celebrate, but I don't know if the shot got off In time or not, but the famous Ron Robin shot that could have beaten San Francisco, thanks Kip, sounds like the long shot out of the right corner that was a good look. I mean, it almost went in. We break, we come back, 1240 Joe Radio.
2: 2020 saw some of Oregon's worst wildfires, and they impacted all of us in different ways. So we wanted to check in with you. How are you holding up? Are you sleeping Okay. Are you having a hard time concentrating? Are you feeling anxious or distracted? If so, you're not alone. There's help available for you and the people you love. Through safestrongoregon.org, you can connect to resources to help you cope, understand your emotions, and connect with disaster-related community support. You can also find help for wildfire survivors like you to help you regain a sense of control. Call the Safe and Strong Helpline at 1-800-923-4357. That's 1-800-923-HELP. Or visit us on our website at safestrongoregon.org wildfire to get immediate mental and emotional help. It's free and confidential. Call 1-800-923-4357. That's 1-800-923-HELP.
11: Hey Beaver fans, football is back. Over the past several months, we all have come together to help each other in this COVID struggle. But would you know how to help a family member or a co-worker in the time of an emergency? Hi, I'm Todd Washington, owner of CPR Works, where we teach people the skills to help someone in the time of an emergency. I am currently holding both virtual and in-person classes for CPR and first aid. For more information or to schedule a class, contact me at CPR-Works.com. Go Beavs! We're back!
12: Pick up, delivery, even curbside. Togo's sandwiches are perfect for any time to take anywhere. This is Chris from Togo's in Corvallis. When you want fresh artisan breads, hand-sliced premium meats piled high, and fresh hand-smashed Haas avocados. Call us and you can even tell us what bread you want and what else you want on it. Spreads, vegetables, and cheeses. Togo's has been serving up big, fresh, meaty sandwiches for over 49 years. Come see us or order online at Togos.com. Togo's, true to the sandwich.
13: Your local Qdoba Mexican Eats plays an important role in serving our communities and will continue to provide access to freshly prepared food during this challenging time. While dining rooms are temporarily closed, all of your local Qdoba locations in Salem, Corvallis, Eugene, and throughout Oregon are ready to serve you with their same great flavors, making sure to take all safety precautions out of concern for their dedicated workers and valued customers. For quick and easy takeout ordering, call ahead to your locally owned and operated Qdoba Mexican Eats for curbside pickup. You can also use the app or order online at Qdoba.com.
8: So I'm in the living room watching the game and I hear a horrible sound. You know, since it's raining, today'd be a good day to refinish that floor or get the tile up in the kitchen. I would, but I don't have all the equipment. That's no excuse. You can rent everything you need from Philomath Rental. And since they're open seven days a week, you can go out there today. Darn you, Philomath Rental.
9: Philomath Rental, next to Landmark Realty, one and a half miles west of the Sunset Shopping Center. For tools and equipment for home, farm, and business, stop by Philomath Rental.
3: Okay, you have the exchange. I, have the exchange. I, I was hoping that, again, when you first said, Did you hear my exchange <laughs> with Stotts and Quick that you'd brought? Because you'll hear, we'll all hear together why they needed you or somebody to be a peacemaker, bring them together. <laughs> because is this the exchange after last night's win, a good win for the Blazers over the world champion Lakers? Gary Trent Jr. played a huge role in it, unlike the game before against Houston where he played six minutes, evidently. Was
4: was Gary Trent Sr. the Shack of the Mac? Yes. Okay, because I was trying to remember to say to Matty... Yep. I remember when his dad oh, was yeah. coming out of college to go play, and that seemed like yesterday to I me. I liked
3: Gary Eli. I interviewed him a couple of times in those days in the mid-'90s and liked him. <laughs> the shack the, of
4: the Mac, and yeah. now his son's playing on the same pro it's team. Unbelievable. The odds of that are
3: astronomical, by the
4: way. It, it, not, they're not
3: uh, likely. The Negro brothers won 546 games together, which means Joe... Mm-hmm. Lost Phil here a few days ago. Phil won 318, so do the math for me. If they want to combine 546, that means Joe was a big winner, too. Over two, you know, I can't get it in my head quickly enough. 218, maybe? Anyway, that's uh, that's a bunch of wins. And Joe Negro was one of the nicest people I ever had the pleasure of running across in the 1987 season. He joined the Portland Beavers late in his career, and he and Terry Forster were together for a while. Forster and Joe Necro on the same team with Portland Beavers baseball, and Joe Necro was fascinating to be around to hear his stories.
4: Wow. Yeah. that oh, That's gold. All right. Bill from Albany. I couldn't okay. hear a lot okay. of what he was saying, but it sounded like he said either he or his dad went to school with Bill Russell. So let's take this okay, call. Okay, let's
3: take Bill and then we'll get to the exchange yeah. quick and stats. Hello, Bill. Welcome to the Joe, Joe, Beaver Joe Beaver Show.
14: Hi, this is Bill from Albany and I've been in the Alameda Valley since 1977. Uh, people say where to go to school. I go USS and. The comment was typically, Oh, you're the guys who stole the NC2A from us yes. in uh, '55. <laughs> and, and my reply has always been, My memory off of the radio in San Francisco was that uh, Casey Jones got in a jump ball with. He seven-foot center and out-jumped him, and that was the turning point of the ball game because uh, it was in the last minute, mm-hmm. and, and he scored off of that uh, jump ball. So yeah. that's the other side of the story real quickly. And uh, as far as... Uh, Basketball court with uh, two center lines. I I played ball, uh, bas- high school ball in Southern California, and uh, and went to a small Catholic school. And several of our opponents had that double center line, and it was really awful when we'd be dibbling down the court and say, uh-oh, which <laughs> line am I approaching? So
3: mm-hmm.
14: a couple of trivia for you.
3: Hey, Bill, that's great stuff. And, and you I remember it, watching K.C. Jones win that tip you were talking about. I didn't know that it was K.C. Jones, but I remember a much shorter player out jumping a tall Oregon State player which I assume was Swede Halbrook but I'd have to go back and look at it uh, and Swede was all of seven feet and that was a key play because that put I think those gave, that gave the Dons the winning points and they were able to hold the beavers off in those last on that last second shot by Ron Robbins yeah pretty hey Bill great right. to yeah thank you for the call sir great call great to hear from you. Okay, Doc. What do you got? The, exchange. Right. the exchange.
15: Quick and Stotts.
2: Jason Quick, The Athletic.
15: Coach, can you describe why that's a hard decision to play Gary, and uh, if there was any communication between you two uh, after the Houston game?
16: Yeah, I talked to him after the Houston game, and uh, you know he understood it after the Houston game, and tonight. Uh, You know, whether he had a great offensive game and I thought Derek was playing a a great defensive game. So we had a lead and I stuck with the defense and it was was a tough call. I was ready to make the change, but yeah, you have to communicate it. But
15: why is that a tough decision for you on a night-to-night basis to play him or not?
16: Jason, it's been two games. It's not a night-to-night basis. We played three games. Yeah. It's not a night-to-night basis. Come on. Okay. Now, tonight... It was tough because he had a really good game going. Derek had a good defensive game going. It's not on a night-to-night basis. We've had two games where it's been a decision. Well, last game you said it's going to be a numbers
15: crunch thing between him and and Ann. Yeah, and it's I'm nothing about
16: why. it's nothing about Gary. I had to make a decision. It has nothing to do with making a tough decision with Gary. Anthony didn't play this half. You didn't ask me. Mm-hmm. Anthony didn't play the second half tonight. You didn't ask about that. Yeah, I well, Gary... I have to make decisions. Who's whoever's out there? I have to make decisions on who plays. That's part of my yeah. job. Oh.
13: Great.
3: So, can you get them together, John, and <laughs> just help them come to a conciliation? Jason has been through a lot. I don't think that was a big deal. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not a big deal for either he's guy. He's
4: been in some angry locker rooms. No,
3: it, it, that's mild by comparison to yeah. what he's dealt and, with.
4: And even, I'm not a huge Stotts fan, but I'm not a Stotts detractor at all <laughs> because he's a flatliner, but that's he. Yeah. That's the most he's really said, oh, come on, come on.
3: I like that. Uh- that exchange. It's pretty good. But you said, you know, it's, yeah. Jason wasn't going to give up, but Stotts is, both are right in a sense, but Stotz's point, I think, is well taken for all the respect I have for Quick, and and it's, yeah. it's yeah. a very high-level respect for his work. He's a good dude. Uh, I would agree with Stotts that Come on. yeah. Uh, three games in. I and, mean, and only
4: two have been yeah, questioned right. about minutes so, for Trent. But it'll be interesting to see, though. Yeah. That said. Right. And, well, and Jason wasn't the only one asking right, that
3: question. Right. No, I, I think that that's what set Stotts off a little bit. Now, what, another question about <laughs>
4: Gary's minutes? <laughs> right. And then Nigel
3: I brings just answered it up on it his and show? Nigel brought it up with me. I said, yeah, well, I'm going to get on Stotts the next time I talk to him, <laughs> Nigel. But it, it was um, it was enjoyable. Hearing him, I have decisions to make. If anybody, I, I recommend it for the entertainment. If you get a chance to find this at the underground tape of La Sorda, it's one of the great things I've ever heard. It really is. It's in a World Series game. If you can find this, is it's Is that gold. the one where he's the, half-bombing he, left he, and he right? Go, he goes out to the mound. <laughs> he's got there's some sort of, he's, he's mic'd up for the game. And by the way, there's a, Mike Riley, uh, Jack Riley game with Jack mic'd up for a game amongst these Oregon State archives, which is also very entertaining. A doubleheader between Washington State and Oregon State at Coleman Field in 1983. So there's this golden stuff out there you can just search and find. So you were like
4: all of us. You were addicted to one thing. I could have watched one thing. I could have watched
3: every Ralph Miller show, I only watched parts of a couple of them, hear Pat and Ralph talking. It was great. But. Tommy goes out to take Doug Rao out of a World Series game and Doug says to Tommy, "I feel good, Tommy. I don't." And Tommy and me, I don't Give a rip! <laughs> uh, you feel good. There's four hits up on the so-and-so board, and off they go, just yelling at each other. I have a decision. I have to make decisions. I'm the manager, and I have to make decisions. It's my job. It reminded me a little bit of Terry Stotts, but it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And Davey Lopes comes in. Come on, guys. Come on. Take this thing back to the clubhouse. Don't do this out here. And it's out there for I, the I whole gotta, world to hear. Too, Lasorda man. Rao the World Series. We've got uh, okay, Robinson players. next. Here's the
16: microphone. Is this thing
3: on? This is
17: KEJO Corvallis.
6: Everybody hear me? We're on at 5. And QID. 1240,
8: Joe. Radio.
17: I'm Jim Chesko with your money now. Stocks earned fresh closing highs yesterday, but they're taking a bit of a pause today. Right now, the indexes: the Dow Industrials down 96 points, the S&P 500 lower by 10, the Nasdaq Composite has dipped 65. A notable gainer, Lemonade. It is an online insurance company, and after slumping in recent sessions ahead of the end of its IPO lockup period, the shares are rebounding nine and a third percent today. Cisco is ending its Kinetic for Cities project, targeting and expanding Cisco beyond networking into the more lucrative software business. A spokesman tells the Wall Street Journal the company will focus instead on security services for customers adapting to a distributed workforce. Current students will be able to finish their programs, but the New England Culinary Institute isn't looking to enroll anymore. Citing the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, the Montpelier-Vermont College that produced celebrity chefs including Alton Brown and Gavin Kaysen announced that it will be closing
15: sometime in the coming year. That's your money now. Thinking about life insurance? And believe me, if Select Quote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800 469
9: 7272. That's 800 469 7272. 800 469 7272.
18: Or go to Selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop. You save. Get full details on the example policy at slugquote.com slash commercials, or price could vary depending on your health-issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. Pick up, delivery, even curbside.
12: Togo's sandwiches are perfect for any time to take anywhere. This is Chris from Togo's in Corvallis. When you want fresh artisan breads, hand-sliced premium meats piled high, and fresh hand-smashed Haas avocados. Call us and you can even tell us what bread you want and what else you want on it, spreads, vegetables and cheeses. Togo's has been serving up big, fresh, meaty sandwiches for over 49 years. Come see us or order online at togos.com. Togo's, true to the sandwich.
2: 2020 saw some of Oregon's worst wildfires, which have impacted all of us. How are you holding up? Are you sleeping okay? There's help available for you and the people you love. Through the Safe and Strong Helpline, you can connect to resources and regain a sense of control. Call 1-800-923-4357 or visit safestrongoregon.org slash wildfire to get immediate mental and emotional help. It's free and confidential. That's 1-800-923-HELP.
19: Hi, I'm Matt Vaskirjian with another little known legend of sports. Johnny Rogers was a dominating running back wide receiver and kick returner at Nebraska in the early 1970s. His 1972 Heisman Trophy attests to the fact that he could single-handedly control the outcome of a game. But in 1973 he determined the outcome of a game in a different way. Rogers was playing in the CFL for Montreal in a playoff game against Toronto and late in the fourth quarter he caught a touchdown pass that seemed to guarantee his Alouettes a victory. The hometown Montreal crowd went wild and Rodgers responded by throwing the football high into the stands. Montreal lined up to kick the extra point, but the referees discovered they had a little problem. Rodgers had thrown away the last remaining game ball. After huddling for a minute, the officials declared the game over and Montreal was given the win. Johnny Rodgers had unwittingly ended the game not with his running, but with his throwing. The incident makes it into the books as another little-known legend is sports. I'm Matt Vaskirjian.
13: The COVID-19 pandemic continues to weigh on us. While we all feel helpless, remember there is much we can do to protect ourselves, our family and friends, all of us. Simply get in the habit of wearing a mask and maintain six feet of space between yourself and others in public. Wash your hands often and stay home if you feel sick. It takes all of us to combat COVID-19. Go to cdcfoundation.org to learn more free shipping is great free shipping no minimum that's the walmart plus magic for your holiday get all your last minute shopping done with free next day or two-day shipping on a huge selection of eligible items from walmart.com with no order minimum free shipping means the freedom to click that order button to your heart's content just another added benefit to your membership maybe that's why it's called walmart plus start your 15-day free trial today at walmart.com plus see member details restrictions apply welcome
18: back welcome back welcome back, back. Welcome welcome back to another welcome day in the life back. of the Joe Beaver show with Mike Parker whose name brings instant
6: recognition it's a Mr. Parker who? Mr. Parker, who? 30, 25, 20, can! I'm pretty busy right now, Mr. Parker. Touch yes. The beavers. Mm-hmm. And the beavers now, 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 Mr. Parker, now, just, just calm yourself. Okay.
18: Goodbye. I'm excitable. Yeah. Mr. Parker is not alone, of course. Yeah. Hey, which
6: where's the other fella go? Uh, the other fella, which yeah. the other fella? Uh, you wait right here. I'll go get Warren.
18: Uh, John Warren the most humble man in sports.
10: Oh, yes, 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 a helped write the game. Oh, yes. toured the world, giving lessons, and also
6: lecturing. Yes. This is good. This is real good. I'm, I'm really proud of our team.
18: And the Joe Beaver Show always seeks fellowship. Is there a doctor on the stands? Why, yes, I'm a doctor. How do you like the game, doc? So here living the doc life are Mike Parker and John Warren with the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio.
3: We head into the second hour trying to make contact with a a good friend that we haven't spoken with in quite some time. He's getting ready to call on the Pac-12 networks today. Santa Clara, back in business evidently, not able to play the game against the Beavers recently, but Santa Clara under Herb Sendek, getting ready to play USC. And Ted Robinson uh, had said yay to the request to join us at 12.05, and we are not able to make uh, a good connection with him. We, we've we tried several times now. So I would suspect, Doc, that he may, when he realizes sometimes, mm-hmm. oh, oh, yeah, I was supposed to. <laughs> He may call back on that number. Oh, well, I'll shortly. watch for it. But
4: you texted him, right? I
3: did. I've okay. texted him several times in the last few minutes. Calling okay. now yeah. from this number. We'll be calling, trying again now from this number. Well, we've One done more it all. time we've from this it number. All. And hope to hear from Ted Robinson. Primarily, to be honest with you, even though Ted had Stanford recently, and that was the, the primary reason for reaching out to him just to get a feel for what is a dangerous team and a good team coming into Gill Thursday for the Beavers and the Cardinal. Three o'clock tip. Ann shots and Rich Burke will have the call on the Pac-12 Networks Thursday afternoon on the final day of 2020. But I, I'm looking forward to talking to Ted a little bit about what I heard. Again, Brian Weber filling in for Rome, talking with, I can't remember who. I was talking with somebody, Sam, not, I wanted to say Sam Weich, somebody named Weich, who does a football podcast. Mm -hmm. No, it was Dennis Dodd. Just before he had Dennis Dodd on, Brian Weber was on the, I salute the student-athletes who are opting out of these meaningless exhibitions, opting out of meaningless bowl games. And, and, and it got, again, that got my ire up a little bit. It got my dander up just a little bit to hear yeah. Weber filling in for Romy using that kind of rhetoric, which is all, all the more popular. And Christian which is Mc- what? That bowl games are meaningless exhibitions. Oh, That's what Weber said today, oh. and Dennis Dodd agreed with him, essentially. Joel Klatt... To his credit, and this is what one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Ted and yeah. his long experience with the Pack Eight, Ten, and Twelve, getting ready to call the hoops game today. Saw Stanford recently, and want to pick his brain a little bit about Jared Hass's team, which sounds like a good one that mm-hmm. the Beavers. It's going to be a, a big challenge for the Beavs at Gill Thursday. I'm weary of the rhetoric that, now, I understand this year maybe more than ever that teams opted out, even if bowl eligible, to not play in them. The bowl experience, and Weber did acknowledge that, and Dennis Dodd did too, that without the bowl experience, just to go play an exhibition game of sorts before an empty stadium, I I could see more and more reason why you might say no to that, and mm-hmm. and five bowl-eligible teams did from our conference. Right. But the idea that these bowl games are meaningless exhibitions, and Weber was saying that's how he's felt for years. He salutes those teams and players over the years that have opted out of them because, quote, they're meaningless. Ted Robinson joins us, and Part of the reason that I, I'm pleased to visit with, with an old friend from the conference and in the business, Ted once shared with me how he was driving home, and as the Beavers were finishing up the Sun Bowl in 2006, rallying from a 38-24 deficit, and ended up going for two with and Bernard scoring to win at 39-38, that he listened to the end of that as a fan of the game, of the game itself, and it compelled him to listen to the end. That whole experience down there in the Sun Bowl in 2006, I do not relegate and render a meaningless exhibition. No. None of them. And, and so that rhetoric that I increasingly hear bothers me. It worries me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Ted Field, maybe, I don't know how Ted Robinson feels today about bowl games in general but Ted it's great to have you on as we wrap up 2020 it's been a long time since we've spoken thanks for taking time for us how are you today
20: well I'm doing great Mike and John it's nice to be with you Mike and uh I will see you uh sometime in January I know uh traveling we're traveling just a little bit for basketball taxball network not a lot but I was in Tucson last night uh, I I'm in. I'm at USC for their improv game this afternoon because they haven't played a game in three weeks. Uh, so thankfully, I will get up to Oregon and see you. But uh, so far, I hope like you, like John, um, we've survived. I've been in a bubble with grandkids, and that has, uh, that has kept me both entertained and exhausted.
3: <laughs> I believe that. Uh, Ted, thanks for joining us. On that point that I'm hearing increasingly, Joel Klatt has sounded it, although Joel at least says we've got to find a way to make the regular seizing more meaningful and not just reduced to irrelevancy. All Division I teams except the four that make the CFP. Joel knows there's something wrong with that narrative and has said so on some of his national shows. His solution is to expand the playoff to 16 teams. I'm still not sure what that does with the other 120 Division I schools that don't make the 16. So where where do you come in philosophically? Not only now in 2020, this year of years, but the place of bowl games in general and this idea that they're meaningless exhibitions.
20: Yeah, that, Mike, uh, let, let's, let's for the sake of this, otherwise I could talk for 20 minutes, uh, let's drop 2020 because yeah. nothing is right this year, nothing is right. normal. Uh, I do agree with the premise that the CFP as structured is not helpful to 98% of Top tier college football. It's great for about five or six schools, mm-hmm. and, and and of course those schools, their conference partners, do receive some windfall from that. Sadly, the Pac-12 hasn't been involved enough to to reap those benefits. But I do agree. Outside of that, I don't think it's been helpful. Um, and I, your point, Mike, is a hundred percent. I'm in agreement with, in that if you uh, if you expand to eight. The ninth team is mad. If you expand to 16, the 17th team is mad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is not an excuse, however, for me for sticking at four. Um, it is, it's just the way I've looked at it this year. And it was the, and look, my alma mater got in. And so I'm happy for that. And I totally understand, would have understood had they chosen Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. to be the fourth team in the CFP. I would have understood no one else, but Cincinnati went undefeated playing in a good league. And that that to me should be rewarded. Um, A a, a team that doesn't even play in its conference championship game, which happened with Alabama several years ago. uh, How does that team get in to the CFP? And then what does that tell us about the meaning of conference championship games? So that's a whole other question. Uh, Back to the specific, your point about bowl games. Here's what I think. And I've lived like you have, Mike. I was a a Stanford football announcer for a long time. Mm -hmm. And in 1986, Stanford had a terrific year and went to the Gator Bowl. And back in 1986, well, many years ago, the Gator Bowl was a prestigious, it was a big game. If you didn't make a New Year's Day game, that was probably the next best game. And that was a huge boost for Stanford football and for the people in Bob Kansas football to go to that game. So for programs like that, your experience with the Beavs that you referenced in 06, the bowl games do matter. Um, I, I happen to know Brent Brennan a little bit, the San Jose State coach. Um, I was in Tucson last night. They've just been there uh, getting ready for their bowl game as the Mountain West champion. It is a huge yes. event for San Jose State football to play in that bowl game. Those for those examples, it is not a meaningless exercise. I think the, the, the problem becomes that the bowl games have become television property for ESPN. That's the vast majority of them are just TV programming. Uh, schools that play in the bowl games lose money because they're forced. It's jammed down their throat. They have to buy tickets. In many cases, tickets they can't sell. Uh, it's a prestige, in air quotes, game and appearance. But... Uh, and then this year, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to include this year just for a second, when you had three and seven teams from the SEC that were lined up to play bowl games, that's absurd, and there's just, that's indefensible. So, uh, again, I, I wouldn't dwell on that because it was, a, it was an aberration for this year. Um, but I will also say this, by finishing up the answer, I do not at all have any issue with the schools in the pack that chose not to play with what everything, with what schools have gone through. Now your school did not miss a game. That's a rarity. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody else, just about everybody else missed the game. I think Um, I'm not sure if anybody else played all seven, but anyway, point being uh, when I look at what Stanford went through and to me, Stanford should have played the Pac-12 championship game. That's my opinion. They should have been chosen over Oregon as the replacement with David Shaw, would be a very close second to Carl Durell as coach of the year, in my opinion. Um, for Stanford then to turn around and say, "I don't want to go to Birmingham and play in the Weed Whacker Bowl," I totally to get that. Yeah. Why would they go through that after what they've been through as a program in the last month?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and true for all the other teams. Uh, Ted, do you think though? Back kind of to the issue of the marginalization of, of any bowl that's not the Final Four, including the Rose Bowl, if it's not in the rotation. D- is it? Do you think that there's too many? And by that I mean you can never have too many, I- except for the fact that you throw a bowl game together in a city no one knows and you put a sponsor name on it rather than a name like the Gator Bowl. It used to be the Mazda Gator Bowl, but it was always still the Gator Bowl. Now it's just the sponsor name bowl game, and like you say – it's made for TV, and that's only that, That's it. If they were to maybe have fewer of them and have their, have their tradition that they once had, the Cotton Bowl had its own parade, for crying out loud, then would it, would it come back, or are those days just gone?
20: Yeah. I mean, I lived that dream as well, John and Mike, uh, during my run at Stanford the second time. When Stanford made the Rose Bowl, they won the Pac-10 in uh, the '99
21: season. Mm -hmm.
20: So, on Jan 1, 2000, they played in the Rose Bowl, and it was one of the, I would say, without question, top five sporting events I've ever had a chance to call. Uh, And my family wanted to go. We went to the parade in the morning. The game was an extraordinary experience. Those things are, are unquestioned. It was fabulous. you know, unfortunately now excess has to me has crept into the bowl system. And I'll use as an example something I am familiar with. The game that was canceled this year but still exists for now, which is, was founded as a San Francisco bowl game and it was played at the baseball stadium in San Francisco for years. And eventually they moved it to Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. And I believe it was called the Red Box Bowl last year. The Pac twelve was contracted to play in this game. That game has withered on the vine over its two decades. It's gone from being a unique San Francisco experience to now being played in a somewhat generic uh, NFL stadium in, a, in an area, in a part of the Bay Area that doesn't attract tourists. And it, the game has lost its luster to the point where the San Francisco 49ers bought the game from the founders the 49ers bought the game a couple of years ago because they need to keep events in the stadium to satisfy Mm -hmm. the bond measures that were passed to pay for it. So my point is this game exists and it's also one of the few games that's not in the ESPN uh, clutches. So I believe it's a Fox television game, but the point being the game exists only to put an event in the stadium. So, That's where, to me, the bowl system has gone awry. And so that's not a reward. Why is it a reward? I'll I'll tell you another um, quick example. I'm going to go back to my Stanford time again because this is the relevant ones. 2001, Stanford had an excellent year uh, in football. And they, and pardon my French, but they got screwed in the bowl process, Mm -hmm. selection process. And the Sun Bowl took Washington State ahead of Stanford. They should not have done that. The reason they did it was, understandable, Washington State travels. And Stanford doesn't. And that's the reason they did it. It was money. Okay, I get that. Stanford gets relegated to a game that only lasted two years, thank goodness, the Seattle Bowl. (laughs) And it was the same situation. They built the new stadium for the Mariners. They wanted a football game in there. So Stanford and Georgia Tech played the first uh, game of this, what was only two games. It was quite, and I love Seattle, guys. It was a terrible. Yeah. There was no bowl game experience. The weather was, you know, with Seattle in Christmas time, it was cold, it was damp, it was wet. <laughs> Nobody from, who's coming from Atlanta to Seattle for the week between Christmas and New Year's right. to watch, you know, a second tier bowl game? So thankfully that game died after just two years. But those are the ones that leave the bad taste in your mouth. Sure. Um, you know, I, unlike the, the Gator Bowl that I had in 35 years ago, or of course the Rose Bowl, which is just a, a standalone sports classic. So, the, the one I've lived and I lived through it, working for the 49ers, and saw the in, in, internal efforts to try to resuscitate this bowl game that's being played in Levi Stadium, and, and uh, I, I don't believe that. I don't think there's going to be any long-term success.
3: Mm-hmm. Ted Robinson, our guest on the Joe Beaver Show, you, when you talk about the history of the bowl game that you just finished on, Ted, in 2007, the Beavers went to the Emerald Bowl in San Francisco, played at well, AT&T Park, right. and played Maryland. But it was in down, you know, the team was domiciled in downtown San Francisco, and it was a great bowl experience for the week. And the Beavers beat Maryland. It wasn't a... It wasn't nearly as memorable as the Sun Bowl game the year before, but it's still, even then, maybe those are the last vestiges of a quality city, the city, downtown experience. But, Ted, in 07, it was still viable.
20: Yeah, Mike, it was. Uh, The first 10 to 12 years of the bowl game in San Francisco, and you hit it exactly right. The point was the team stayed in the city, the traveling fans and were able to experience the city. And I was involved with it. I've been involved with that game tangentially since it started with various events, et cetera. And um, I, I know, I think I know why, because it was an awkward fit as you saw for football. I don't believe the field was a hundred (laughs) yards and both benches were on the same (laughs) sideline just because of the awkward uh, fit for a football field in a unique baseball setting. Anyway, uh, the game since it's moved to Santa Clara has lost all of the uniqueness in its it's its birth its birth was to put this event in San Francisco mm-hmm. and now it's fifty miles south in a beautiful stadium yeah. the stadiums Levi stadium is gorgeous but there's no there's nothing else there and there's no hook then to bring people from other you know it's been big ten schools recently nobody's coming mm-hmm. it just isn't. That attracted. So now it becomes again a television game, and if that's the case, you can play it anywhere.
4: Yeah, that's right.
3: Ted, we you may not go as far as we do. were. I am so nostalgic about about life in general and things. And last night I watched the nineteen fifty four fifty five. Oregon State College USF game with Bill Russell and Casey Jones. It's on, you can find it, it's archived, a black and white silent version of the entire game with Sweet Halbrook and Bill Russell and Casey and fascinating to watch, it really is. So that's sort of, you know, my mind and inclination. I go there, so what I'm about to say is in keeping with I miss the days when we didn't have a playoff at all. I mean, let alone <laughs> when New Year's Day meant everything in college football. When the deaf settled, argued about who was a champion, and AP and UPI would vote, and, and off you went. And it felt like college football was pretty healthy in those days, Ted, wasn't it?
20: Well, college football is healthy, yeah, Mike. Um, I'm, first of all, let me quickly say I'm really glad you mentioned that because I am working uh, at USC this afternoon with Bill Walton <laughs> and we were on a Zoom call with Andy Enfield a few hours ago and Bill was telling Andy about Casey Jones, <laughs> okay. uh, who Good. coached the Celtics yeah. when Bill played his one year there and they won the championship. Uh, and he has a three-minute video. Somebody sent Bill a three-minute memorial video that I we're going to try to show it today on the game. I'm not Good. sure
3: if we can Good.
20: make that work, but but it's funny you said that about Casey Jones. I'm going to tell Bill that you found that, that game. He will love that. Yeah, um, he would. <laughs> the, the college football question, yeah, college football has always been healthy, um, especially in the parts of the country where college football is king. Uh, the, to me, that, that answers two parts. One, March Madness. And March Madness was, until the CFP came along, March Madness was the single biggest money generator for college sports. That's what made the money.
21: Mm-hmm.
20: It was a championship. And, you know, honestly, I, it was hard for football to continue to rationalize being the only NCAA sport that didn't play off. Yeah. Everybody else has a play off. And football was standing by itself. So, you know, I just, I, I think the problem is that the NCAA, and I'm not sure, maybe, Mike, you and John, maybe you guys know the answer. I'm not sure why this became... An independent entity. the CFP is independent of the NCAA. Nice. The NCAA runs March Madness. I don't know why that happened, but it's clear that the CFP and, by now extension, ESPN, run college football. They will dictate when the playoff expands, if it expands. They dictated that we're going to hold to the schedule this year, not delay because of the late starts, especially by the Pac-12. Those are decisions that the NCAA has zero to do with, and that part of the playoff thing, I don't. I just don't know how that's a long-term
3: mm-hmm. play. Hey Ted, final thing, and I'm glad uh, to know you're working with Bill today. USC Santa Clara. Look forward to uh, looking in on that uh, this afternoon. As I was preparing for Stanford and the Beavers' New Year's Eve afternoon at Gill, I came across, I saw the notes that you worked recently, Stan- I think the Stanford-Arizona game, correct? And if so, yes. when I say, Jared, Coach Haas has a good team, I'm not wrong, right? I mean, this is a pretty good team he's got.
20: Uh, Mike, he has a very good team. Very good. They are going to... You know, I think they will, and I'm going to use the phrase sneak up on people because I don't believe there's a build-up for them. They're very good. They are experienced, first of all, even though they lost Terrell Terry, the first one-and-done ever from the Stanford program. Uh, they are experienced. They have size, and they defend. They defend, and that combination of veteran guards, dejon Davis and Bryce Wills, Wills is really a wing player, but Plays more in a, in a backcourt role, but they defend really well. Uh, and they've added probably the most talented freshman to ever uh, be part of Stanford basketball, Zaire Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not Evan Mobley at USC, but he's pretty darn good. And so, yes, I I believe the experience and their willingness and their ability to defend. I will be shocked. Mike, if they're not top two or three in the conference this year, the biggest challenge I think that they face is that I'm pretty sure they're going to have to play their entire season in Santa Cruz.
3: That's uh,
20: that's, that's going to be bizarre. And I was talking to Herb Sendek, the former ASU coach, this morning because he's, I think, going to be in the same boat with Santa Clara. Uh, the county, that county, is on its own planet, and I don't believe they're going to. Uh, Relax the restrictions, really, uh, in time for this to be saved. So I, it's going to be weird for Stanford Where? to have to play. It's about forty-five miles from their camp. Right, but it can't what? Be a tough- can be a tough drive in the
4: winter. Yeah,
3: John Platts is going to join us here in a few minutes to go deeply and more in detail on Stanford. He hasn't been going down to Santa Cruz to call the games, which surprises me. He's calling games with Scott Reese off a television monitor from wherever they are. So he's not even making the trip. Where is Herb operating now?
20: Uh Herb Sendek? Yes. Yeah, so Herb Sendak is the head coach at Santa Clara. Right. No, and they I also have been dis- they've been displaced. And so they are they're using they've already played three games uh, in the Santa Cruz arena. okay uh, Stanford's only played one so far but both teams I, I, my understanding is that Stanford's men's team at least is going to play the season out in Santa Cruz. Wow uh, and, and and I' gotta tell you being there for the for the one game Stanford played, it's not bad. For okay. the way basketball has to be played this year guys, it's not bad. I mean, look, it's, a, it's like an old field house. It's basically a little, you know, small Costco that they slapped up there and put bleachers in it. But the court is, is really nice. The lighting is great because it's the NBA G League. Uh, and the feel for this kind of a year is actually pretty good. I, I, I was surprised because I had not been there previously. I was surprised um, that, that I thought it played out pretty well, obviously, for teams – Travel access, you know, everybody gets in their habits, as you know, Mike, so well from decades in the conference. Um, and I watched Arizona go through it as the first team. You have to change all of that because of the, the relocation. But for Stanford, they can't, you know, basically, if they go to campus, all they can do is go to their living space, do a little work. I mean, they can't practice, they can't work out, they can't do anything on their campus. And so, <laughs> Really, the basketball team is, for the most part, going to have to relocate to this beautiful beach boardwalk.
3: Town. Yeah. Did wow. They, did they allow any fans in there?
20: No. Okay. No fans. Okay. Well, there's no fans. Yeah, you know, there's no fans anywhere in the pack. Uh, of course, that's supposed to be revisited this weekend, but I would be stunned if that's changed, guys. I, okay. I can't fathom we're going to have fans in any yeah. building this year. Okay,
3: wow. Ted, it's great to connect with you again. Please say hi to Bill for us. I'm glad you get It's always entertaining. I look forward to DVRing it and listening to you guys. Work together later. It's a great team. Enjoy your work, Ted, and it's nice to connect with you one time here in 2020. Happy New Year to you, and I hope we do cross paths sometime in January. Thanks, Ted.
20: Well, yeah, enjoy enjoy the New Year, guys. And, Mike, I definitely will see you. I know I have the beads on my slate a few times. Good. So I will see you uh, in January.
3: Thank you, Ted. Great to talk to you. Ted Robinson, our guest. John Platts, to talk about the vagabondage of the Stanford Cardinal next on 1240 Joe Radio.
6: We said-
18: For Valus. Everyone has an Uncle Fester in their life, that person who is nearly impossible to please. Well, take them to Woodstock's Pizza and they'll find exactly what they're looking for. Because Woodstock's Pizza is pizza for all, with over 35 fresh toppings to choose from, six different sauces, four different crust options, including cauliflower and gluten-free. Plus, vegan and dairy-free options, Woodstock's Pizza really is pizza for all. Woodstock's Pizza. They'll even please Uncle Fester on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis. Tick Liquor Firearms in South
4: Corvallis and Salem is open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. At Tick Liquor Firearms, find guns, outdoor gear, guns, ammo, and more guns. Buy, sell, or trade new and used. Tick Liquor also offers consignment and layaway options. Also ask about their monthly CHL classes. Come check out Tick Liquor Firearms on Sapa's 3rd and Corvallis and on Southeast Commercial in Salem. View their inventory and shop online at ticklickerfirearms.com.
15: Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245, or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Go Beavs! Albany Rifle and Pistol
9: Club offers a combined Oregon and Utah concealed carry class and a basic pistol class, both open to the public. When you complete the combined concealed carry class, ARPC will provide everything you need, including the photo and fingerprint cards that are required by Utah. The basic pistol class is designed for the new gun owner and will teach you how they work and how to use them. Class costs and schedules are on the calendar at ARPC.info. You'll also receive a coupon worth 25 bucks off a membership at Albany Rifle and Pistol Club, a safe and fun place to shoot.
4: Angry Beaver Grill is open for covered and heated outdoor dining as well as dinner to go orders Tuesday through Sunday. Get the favorites including Angry Beaver's Reuben and French dip sandwiches, burgers, tacos and the Gables recipe chicken bisque soup and garlic croutons. And don't miss Angry Beaver's Friday and Saturday night famous Gables smoked ribeye steak dinner special. Angry Beaver Grill open Tuesday through Sunday from 3pm to 9pm for covered and heated outdoor dining in the back of the restaurant and for carry out on 4th Street in downtown Corvallis. Angry Beaver thank you for your support.
3: Great to have you with us on the Joe Beaver Show. Enjoyed the conversation with uh, a good old friend of the show through the years, outstanding broadcaster Ted Robinson. He'll be working with Bill Walton today, Santa Clara, and USC. And joining us, uh, a, a guy I've known for years and enjoyed, but becoming, I hope, a person that we'll have the opportunity to visit with often in the ensuing years, and that's John Platts, Stanford football basketball radio broadcaster, wrote the book, 100 Years on Stanford Men's Basketball. And we had him on just a few weeks ago when David Shaw and his Stanford football team were on their uh, flying Dutchman-type journey away from (laughs) Palo Alto, the peninsula of the campus, And that's the experience now. It sounds as though just talking to Ted, what Jared Hass and the Cardinal are facing. According to Ted, he thinks that from here on out and John Platts, perhaps the, who will be working the Beaver Stanford game remotely Thursday, New Year's Eve afternoon at Gill can perhaps confirm that John, any uh, thanks for joining us again. It was just a few weeks ago. We really enjoyed the conversation. So, Thanks for jumping back on with us. In terms of basketball, now is Jared Hass? Is he facing the same sort of thing that Coach Shaw in football did in terms of not being able to do anything on campus and essentially relocating the basketball operation to Santa Cruz? Uh,
22: it is. You you hit it on the head, Mike. And nice to be with you again. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's the same same deal for for Jared. I mean the team. You know, flew to North Carolina to play in the Maui Invitational, which of course was relocated to Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, it, I think while they were in the air, came you know came the edict from Santa Clara County saying you, you can't play, and so that precipitated the you know the whatever it was number of days in the teens, a number of days in North Carolina, and then they relocated to Southern California. Uh, hopefully to play the USC game, but they couldn't play that one because of the COVID and then picked up the game against Northridge and, and Bakersfield. And Bakersfield in Arizona, of course, was the beginning of the Santa Cruz experience, which my understanding is that may continue uh, for Stanford because you guys are, are correct. Uh, Stanford, as of now, is, is not for uh, the, the order of the Santa Cruz County Health Officer, not allowed to play a practice in the county.
3: So, because dis- learning itself is remote, and is that's why David was able to take the students away. They weren't going to classes on campus anyway. So, does that mean that the the same type of thing for Jared and the the Stanford program throughout the the coming winter, the entire Pac twenty game, in theory? pac twelve conference schedule, John. That they'll they'll just be out and about and not on campus.
22: Well, I I, I don't I don't. Again, it's a quandary. Yeah. As it stands now, my, my understanding is because I've seen no announcement to the contrary that Stanford is scheduled to have students on campus for the winter quarter. Now, it's not everybody. It's it's two of the four classes I. One of them is the freshman class. The other one may be the sophomore class. The original plan, Mike, way back in the summertime before you know the the, the pandemic started raging more intensely, was to have you know two classes for the fall quarter, two different classes for the winter, and and that obviously got blown up in the fall. Nobody was on campus. But in the winter, my understanding is two classes are going to be uh, on campus, uh, and. So you know how that how that fits into the learning part. I think most of the learning still will be remote, but on camp, on campus you have the on campus experience with, of course, the appropriate care taken if it, if that can be done. Uh, so to answer your question, I, I don't I don't I don't envision it to be the sort of David Shaw football, you know, three weeks on the road mm-hmm. uh, because if you have students on campus you really can't justify having a team away for weeks and weeks. So All right. I you know, I, I think Santa Cruz has to be a, a, on the table because it's driving distance. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I I, mean, I would imagine that the student athletes will be be able to go back to their homes. Practice probably will not be able to take place in the county, but Stanford is near San Mateo County. There's with, with the campus abuts the county line, so practice can be worked around, but I no. The answer to your question, no. It's not going to be weeks and weeks away from campus. Okay, the, the classes commence mid-January. And
3: John, in in the in this winter break, it's perhaps not it's not applicable now to talk about how they're dealing with it. But uh, so the team and getting ready to come to Oregon State and play the Beavers Thursday and make the trip to the Beavers State are they practicing in San Mateo County getting ready for this is that your understanding
22: no 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 they they, they departed for Oregon on Sunday
3: oh okay so they, they,
22: they, they've been they've been in the state of Oregon since Sunday evening now, I and did I, not I believe yeah. practicing in the Eugene area
3: okay I didn't know uh, this
22: <laughs> I, 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 yeah I believe that's, that's the case
3: okay interesting Wow what strange times indeed I just we just spoke with Ted and he's he did the Stanford Arizona game where your team broke a 20 game losing streak against Arizona and he thinks Ted thinks and a lot of people think and John I wonder what you think that Jared has a very good club coach has what what are your what's your sense in this four game winning streak they're bringing into Corvallis what kind of team potentially this is even with all of the hurdles and things they'll have to go through to get through a season
14: well, it's a,
22: it's a mentally tough team uh, because Jared Hass is a mentally tough coach. I mean, you, you, I know you go back to when he was a player, the one year at Cal, and then his career at, at Kansas State. I mean, Jared is enthusiastic about uh, basketball, but he's also a mentally tough dude. I mean, he's the youngest of five, played on a great high school team in South Lake Tahoe. His brother uh, went to the Air Force Academy, played basketball there, and now trains fighter pilots in Tucson. He's a member mm-hmm. of the Air Force, his older brother, uh, Steve. So Jared, I mean Jared imbues that in his team that they play playing hard is a cliche, but Jared House teams, you know, they they play hard and they, you you get the most out of the wash rag. I think it's an upper half team in, in the conference. Uh, you know, there was Stanford got its – and I wouldn't say lunch handed to it, but, but was handled by North Carolina and Indiana in the Mallory in the second two games there after a good opening game win against Alabama. Um, so those were hiccups. But since then, it's been, you know, it's been more smooth. The, 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 newer, play, the, the, newer, the newer players, principally Zaire Williams, is, is, you know, had ups and downs, but it's starting to level out a little bit and, and begin a, a, an ascent, and you know, his ceiling is very high. So upper half team, Mike, um, led by Oscar De Silva, who's having just a tremendous year statistically, 19.6 rebounds a game, and just a tremendous, quiet leader, uh, playing hard, you know, every possession, shooting 66%. Uh, so that's a pretty good anchor to have as, as we go into conference. And has always played well in Corvallis. So we'll, we'll see how that impacts the game on Thursday afternoon.
3: Well, he certainly has. And the Zaire Williams, I read in preparing, John, that he's the first five-star on campus since the Lopez twins played for Mike Montgomery. Brooke and Robin on campus were five stars. But even whatever the ranking service, Zaire, according to most reports, is the highest-ranked Cardinal recruit ever. Is that your understanding? And have you seen glimpses of that high level and perhaps – following Tyrell Terry, one-and-done potential?
14: Uh,
22: Yeah, sort of yes to all of those. Uh, You know, depending on the recruiting service you consult, uh, he was you know top five recruits in the country, borderline top five. The type of player, Mike, that usually is out of Stanford's reach because that young man wants to go to North Carolina or to Kansas Mm -hmm. or to Duke or or what have you, uh, and Jared House has some terrific recruiters on the staff. Uh, you know, Adam Cohen, uh, his associate head coach, is, is probably the most active of them. But to, 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 to have reeled in here, Now he's a Southern California kid, so that helps. But he's you know he's playing on that Sierra Canyon team that played on ESPN half the games last year with LeBron James kid on it mm-hmm. and the way Wade kid on it. And um, but he's he's you know he's level headed and Stanford held enough appeal to him uh, and Jared House and his approach has enough appeal. And I think the fact that Ty Terry got, you know, drafted first pick in the second round, uh, you know, one and done, all sort of aspired to, to get Zaire to Stanford. Uh, Mike he started slow. Um, he you know, he relied on jumpers a lot because the kids wanna shoot jumpers. That's uh, they see it yeah. on T V, they see the blonde and whatnot and Zaire is so physically gifted that getting him to not settle for the Kobe fallaway, away
21: mm-hmm. you know,
22: get him to get in the lane a little bit, you know, use rebounding skills. He's a terrific player, Mike, uh, on the on the break. He reminds you of Josh Childress,
21: mm-hmm.
22: except uh, a little bit little bit more nimble on the perimeter, more, you know, more of a triple threat even than Childress was. So he, he's really starting to hit a stride. and I, I'm starting to see, Mike, the five-star. You didn't really see it the first three or four games. And, and you know he's a true freshman, so that's probably unfair on my part. But he's—you'll see on—you'll on, uh, see on Thursday the, the the physical giftedness, and he's got a focus that goes with it that I think will we'll merit a pretty solid college career.
3: John Platt, Stanford broadcaster, joining us in anticipation of the Beavers, and Stanford, uh, ending the year 2020 with a ball game at Gill Coliseum. John, what Ted said, and perhaps you could bear this out as well, he said it all starts with Jared and this year's team, and it was good last year, too. But the defense, the defensive work, foundational for Coach Hass. are you seeing that? I mean, does this look like it could be, as it plays out in your opinion, one of the better defensive teams Stanford's had in many years?
14: I,
22: I agree with that. and that Really, I think, Mike, is going to be the difference between Stanford finishing, say, you know, five, six, seven, not that, and rather, you know, maybe three, four, five, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, you know, Bryce Wills had, uh, by one defensive measure, the best defensive, perimeter defensive performance all last year. He was first team all, got um, 12, you know, six, six. He's a junior now. Uh, so he's, you know, he's, he takes pride in his defense, plays, you know, plays it soundly. Uh, you know, has, has some giftedness there. Dejan Davis, I know you've, you've watched for four years now. He is sort of assumed and, and taken a liking to a defensive identity, Mike, and he is a gifted athlete. I, you know, I saw him between games on the Washington Road Trip last year throwing a football around. I couldn't believe how a lot, football, a lot of these basketball players aren't really nimble in their sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Dejan was throwing it and running around throwing that football, and I thought, wow, this, this guy's gifted. And so he's turned out athleticism to, to – to the to a defensive focus. So he's there. Uh, Jared, Jared has just, he, he just has communicated and communicated successfully that to get minutes, you're going to, you're going to have to play defense. And so I think it, absent you know, a really good shooting threat, Mike, you know, Tyrell Terry was Stanford's along with Spencer Jones, the principal three point shooting threat last year. He's gone. So Stanford three point shooting is down. And therefore, it just follows that if Stanford's going to win some of these games against upper division teams or tough road games like the one Thursday, it's not going to be a barrage of threes. It's going to be holding a team to you know low 60s and scoring 69 yourself. So.
3: Finally, John, uh, the we touched on this a little bit the last time you were on. We were talking primarily football that day, but did touch on your. Research on 100 years of Stanford basketball and Hank Lucetti's innovation uh, with the the running one-hander that changed the game. What are some other things in the 100 years as you, as a somebody who cares about and passionate about Stanford basketball history, that occurred to you while researching? Maybe even some things you discovered along the way, some things you came to appreciate even more. As we close, we've talked a lot about the present game Thursday, but what about your deep dive into Stanford Hoops history? Lucetti comes to mind for all of us, but what else in terms of the place of Stanford basketball in college basketball history that you discovered that impressed you?
22: Well, I'm glad you asked, Mike. uh, and I'm I'm thrilled by the question in in part because I think a lot of schools, and I think yours, not that I want to... Ask you to write a thousand hours for the Beavers, but a lot of school, you know, Stanford is not UCLA with the 11 championships Mm -hmm. or North Carolina or Indiana or, you know, the half dozen or so schools that a book would be tough because you just go, well, this is championship year A and this is championship year B. And then they had a lull for seven years. And then there was, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really lend itself to a story. For Stanford, there's enough sort of Everest. That now could let's use that now could peaks <laughs> as we go along, yeah. but the story kind of ebbs and flows and it makes it naturally interesting. Now now Lucetti, the book probably doesn't happen, Mike, if Michael Lucetti isn't the Michael Jordan of the sport mm-hmm. in the first half of the of the, of the previous century. I and mean, he literally was the best basketball player on the planet. They played at Stanford in the late 1930s, and so you can build a story around that. Stanford went to the Madison Square Garden and there were 70,000 people and study City, the Wonder Kid. So yeah. you know, that that sort of makes the first part of the book uh, interesting. But you have these other periods. You've got you know let's fast forward. You know, 1942, Stanford wins the whole thing uh, in Kansas City. Uh, they all the kids are studying on the road, so it's a novel it's a novel thing. It's a you know there's a national championship in there. There's one. Um, you know you. 50s and 60s are tough, but there's a big winner, two. But then you get to 70, mid-70s, and there's a play, player named Rich Kelly. Mike, seventh winner, mm-hmm. played in the NBA 11 years, uh, grew up in the you know, near Stanford. Uh, you had a weekend against USC and UCLA. They called the Miracle of Naples Weekend, January 17 and 18, 1975. UCLA was number two in the country. USC is number five in the country. And Stanford rose up in a 24 hour period because in those days the the conference schools played probably Saturday on on the road. Right. And Stanford beat the Bruins. uh, UCLA had one loss, I think, at the time. Stanford hadn't beaten him in nine years. Rich Kelly had a tremendous game that night. The the next night, he had 52 points, 28 rebounds, and was 18 of 18 from the line. This is a seventh footer Wow. That led Stanford to. Two enormous wins. There was the stall game against Oregon State in 1980. Yes. I don't know if you remember it, but I, I certainly do. 1816 16 final score. Oregon State number two in the country. Stanford didn't have weapons. Stanford was at the bottom of the conference, and Dick of the coach, which was just before I played there, said, we can't compete. There's no shot clock. Let's just stall for 40 minutes. It was 12-12 <laughs> half, right. at halftime, and and, uh, and the Beavers pulled it out, and the Rock pulled it out 18-16. Yeah, brother Knight comes along, Mike, in the 1990s. He was a 5'10 guard uh, that nobody wanted. He's from the East Orange, New Jersey. And, and one of the Stanford assistants, a Wark, was back there and saw Knight. Uh, he played the Seton Hall prep. And he comes to Stanford, Mike, and turned a 7-23 and team in nineteen ninety two ninety three into a team that made three tournaments uh, in 95, 96, 97. Brethren was you know, three-time All-Conference, All-American his senior year. And he, he set it up for the Collins Twins and Josh Childress and the Lopez Twins in the 11-year run under Mike Montgomery, in which Stanford went to the tournament every year and was mm-hmm. number one in the country three or four times, eight, eight, three or four different seasons. Brother Knight set the whole thing up. Absent Brother Knight, night, maybe Stanford is bottom half of the conference from the, the 90s until now. I mean, this yeah. is, so it, the up and down, I think, makes it interesting. And I think a lot of programs have stories it can be told as well, that I just last, last note, what I did was, Mike, at the back of the book, I, I, I wanted, every book you want, you want an all-time team, right? Well, I, I divided it into thirds. I call, you know, the first mm-hmm. third I called it the pre-television era, the second third of the 100 years I called the vinyl album era, and the third I called it <laughs> the, the, com- the computer and internet era, and I put right. the player of each... Yeah. Third and, and frank was said he was first. Rich Keller was second, and Brad and that was the third. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of really good players, particularly in this, in this last year with the Lopez twins and the Collins twins and all that. Right. But it was fun to research and it was fun to tell a story.
3: Well, hey, thank you for sharing that with us, John. Really appreciate your perspective and time again on the show. I wish we were seeing you in our building Thursday, but where, wherever you call the game, I hope you and Scott have a good one. And it's a, it's a pleasure to visit with you again. Thank Thanks for taking time for us. Happy New Year to you, John, and I hope our paths cross again.
22: Likewise, Mike, to you you and to John. I'm looking forward to another exciting stanford Oregon State basketball team. I love it when they get together. It's always competitive.
3: Thanks, John. Good talking to you. John Platts, one of the broadcasters for Stanford basketball. Boy, he just touched on some names, and I was not familiar with until today the term the miracle at Maples and the sweep ambushed on the Peninsula Trail. Rich Kelly, 52 and 28 in a game against SC to complete a sweep of UCLA and USC in a 24 hour period. Jeez. That USC team in 75 was good, really good. And UCLA won the national championship. And the mm-hmm. Stanford Cardinals, I think they were called the Cardinals in 75, not Cardinal, swept them. Let's take a break, wrap up the show for the week. And the year. True? tur, True. Yeah. Next, 1240 Joe Radio.
7: Trump's hobbies has been serving the area since 1972 and is a proud supporter of schools, clubs, and groups throughout the Mid-Valley. Trump says the area's largest selection of radio-controlled cars, boats, airplanes, and helicopters, plus drones, plastic models, model trains, fantasy games, collector cards, and modeling tools, parts, paints, and supplies. Whether you're an experienced modeler or just starting out, Trump's is there to help. Build it, drive it, fly it. Trump Zombies in the Timber Hill Shopping Center in Corvallis, bringing enjoyment to life.
3: This is Mike Parker for Even Flow Plumbing, your trusted award-winning plumber for the Mid Valley. Even Flow specializes in complete plumbing and drain cleaning solutions for residential and commercial jobs. They treat your home like it's their home, and their flat-rate pricing means no surprises at the end of the job. Even Flow takes pride in doing the job right the first time. Just call 541-738-8853 for all your plumbing needs. When you need a pro, go with
12: the flow. Even Flow Plumbing. Pick up, delivery, even curbside. Togo's sandwiches are perfect for any time to take anywhere. This is Chris from Togo's in Corvallis. When you want fresh artisan breads, hand-sliced premium meats piled high, and fresh, hand-smashed Haas avocados. Call us and you can even tell us what bread you want and what else you want on it. Spreads, vegetables, and cheeses. Togo's has been serving up big, fresh, meaty sandwiches for over 49 years. Come see us or order online at Togos.com. Togos, true to the sandwich.
15: Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245, or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC, go Beeves.
2: 2020 saw some of Oregon's worst wildfires and they impacted all of us in different ways. So we wanted to check in with you. How are you holding up? Are you sleeping okay? Are you having a hard time concentrating? Are you feeling anxious or distracted? If so, you're not alone. There's help available for you and the people you love. Through safestrongoregon.org, you can connect to resources to help you cope, understand your emotions, and connect with disaster-related community support. You can also find help for wildfire survivors like you to help you regain a sense of control. Call the Safe and Strong Helpline at 1-800-923-4357. That's 1-800-923-HELP. Or visit us on our website at safestrongoregon.org wildfire to get immediate mental and emotional help. It's free and confidential. Call 1-800-923-4357. That's 1-800-923-HELP.
23: Merry Christmas and from all of us at the natty dresser thank you to our friends and loyal customers for your support it seems hard to believe but this is our haberdashery's seventh Christmas and without you we wouldn't be here please stop by our new location this holiday season and let us help you with your gift giving you'll find quality men's clothing and accessories and gift wrapping is always complimentary take a break from those big box crowds shop the natty dresser purveyor of quality men'swear corner of second Broad Alban in historic downtown Albany dress well Be confident, find success paying
13: too much on your taxes? Is your tax return not as profitable as it should be? At Tax and Wealth Management, they can help because that's what they do. They work with individuals and business owners to lower your taxes, increase your profit, and manage your cash flow. Nobody locally puts more time and money into continuing education, and that benefits their clients. Call 541-753-4185 for a free consultation. There's no obligation, so what have you got to lose? That's 753-4185. and Wealth Management in Corvallis, your hometown tax team.
7: Unified Insurance Group is your local independent insurance agency in Corvallis. They represent numerous insurance companies and specialize in auto home and business insurance. See Mike Eaves, Taylor Starr and Tom Worth. They'll help find an insurance plan that works best for you. So if you're looking for auto home or business insurance, see the Unified Insurance Group, 320 Southwest Third Street in downtown Corvallis They're your hometown team, always putting you first.
3: We have one more break to take. We got a
4: little bit behind with our long conversations with Ted and John. And ironically enough, he's calling a game against two opponents that the Beavers had and and didn't get to play. That's true. Santa Clara and And USC. USC. So I take it USC's off pause. They were on pause for quite a while.
3: And Santa Clara as well is off.
4: it never was the word as to why it was off, but it was originally well, scheduled they, for Wednesday, December twenty third. Right,
3: and I remember it was Bob DeCarolis who told us that's not going to happen.
4: Yeah, yeah, and we never—I don't remember getting any message from the school. But when the Portland State game was scheduled for the twenty second, that kind of. Uh, basically said, well, I guess there's no game tomorrow against Santa Clara.
3: Johnny, we need to take this last quick break, and then we'll come back and say farewell for 2020. The next time we come on the Joe Beaver Show, it'll be a new year.
6: For auto glass solutions, better call a glass 760-2277 760 2277, call the glass
17: man. Hi, this is Jake the Glassman Come see me at my new location at 3335 Ferry Street Southwest in Albany or give me a call. For auto
6: glass solutions, better call the glass man. Call 541 760 2277,
23: call the glass man. Merry Christmas! And from all of us at the Natty Dresser, thank you to our friends and loyal customers for your support. It seems hard to believe, but this is our haberdashery's seventh Christmas, and without you, we wouldn't be here. Please stop by our new location this holiday season and let us help you with your gift giving. You'll find quality men's clothing and accessories, and gift wrapping is always complimentary. Take a break from those big box crowds. Shop the Natty Dresser purveyor of quality menswear, corner of 2nd Broad Albany, in historic downtown Albany. Dress well, be confident, find success.
11: Hey, Beaver fans. Football is back. Over the past several months, we all have come together to help each other in this COVID struggle. But would you know how to help a family member or a co-worker in the time of an emergency? Hi, I'm Todd Washington, owner of CPR Works, where we teach people the skills to help someone in the time of an emergency. I'm currently holding both virtual and in-person classes for CPR and first aid. For more information or to schedule a class, contact me at CPR-Works.com. Go Beeves, We're back!
13: Your local Qdoba Mexican Eats plays an important role in serving our communities and will continue to provide access to freshly prepared food during this challenging time. While dining rooms are temporarily closed, all of your local Qdoba locations in Salem, Corvallis, Eugene, and throughout Oregon are ready to serve you with their same great flavors, making sure to take all safety precautions out of concern for their dedicated workers and valued customers. For quick and easy takeout ordering, call ahead to your locally owned and operated Qdoba Mexican Eats for curbside pick. You can also use the app or order online at Qdoba.com.
3: Well, Doc, it's been an amazing year for us on the Joe Beaver Show. December 29th, bowl games coming up, usurping the airwaves the next couple of days. Beaver basketball on New Year's Eve afternoon, 2.30 airtime. Really looking forward to seeing Oregon State, which will be a tremendous challenge against Stanford, a team that got a vote to win the league. They've got some the Zaire Williams character, the highest recruit ever at Stanford. They played North Carolina
4: tough. Mm -hmm. uh, Beat Alabama. They got three guys averaging uh, close to, well, 15 and above with Zaire Williams, the freshman. Oh, boy. We've made it through the year,
3: Johnny. Yeah. Uh, We'll have a little hiatus and come back with the calendar turned into the year 2021. Thanks to all of you uh, for making the last nine months as challenging as they've been enjoyable in this at least part of the world we've been in. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you in 2021 on 1240 Joe Radio.
17: You're all set,
6: please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This
9: is KEJO Corvallis.
6: Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240 Joe
8: Radio.